It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 158, The Prophet Elisha and the Seasons in the Spirit. Chronicles 12.32 Of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times, to know what Israel ought to do, two hundred chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. I imagine the life of Elisha was one moment of revelation and obedience after another. Without knowing it until later, God had three distinct seasons of his life planned ahead of time. The first of his life was filled with hard work and life of a disciple. No miracles, just hard work, a season of education and servanthood. Upon the death of Elijah, the second season of his life began, where he was thrust into his calling with tremendous workings of God's power, a season of godly power. In this episode, we'll see Elisha enter the third phase of his life, the season of judgment. Whether he liked it or not, the hearts of Israel's kings were not repentant, and God's words of judgment would be fulfilled. Considering that King Joram didn't believe at this point, despite all that he had seen and heard, was quite incredible, but he didn't. Hundreds, if not thousands, were coming to the knowledge of God because of Elisha, but the heart of the king and his family and Ahab's descendants and Jezebel were not repentant. Judgment was coming whether Elisha wanted it or not. Time had come and Elisha knew it, probably awakened by the Lord to open another one of those sealed orders by Elijah, he was to venture north to Aram and anoint Haziel king. Probably venturing out on his own without his servants to spend time with God alone on the journey. I picture the journey to Aram with the sealed orders in his coat troublesome and terrible for him. Here was the direction given to Elijah at Mount Horeb. These would be the summary of instructions that were passed on to Elisha. Further, they'll explain the greater purpose of what was about to occur. 1 Kings 19.13 Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put their prophets to the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Haziel, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. The season of judgment begins now, and it's going to be intense. Haziel will represent the physical. Jehu and his erratic behavior would represent the emotional response, while Elisha will represent the spiritual Physical, emotional, and spiritual judgment was coming to Israel. Elisha has already been working in miracles. Haziel is next, followed by Jehu. Haziel is currently a son of nobody, according to an Assyrian historical record of him, and Jehu is currently a general in Joram's army. In fact, Jehu is the head of King Joram's armies. Both of these men will soon be usurpers of the thrones of both Aram and Israel. On the journey to Aram, Elisha probably was wrecked with visions of what would befall Israel in the next season. 
Painfully aware as he passed by villages and towns, he saw visions of them destroyed. He could even prophetically smell fire and taste the ash mixed into the oxygen-poor atmosphere. His experiences only increased as he ventured north to Aram. In obedience, he continued, though not wanting to know more and more. He would see armies from Aram at the border marching into Israel, stealing, pillaging, and wrecking havoc wherever they went. Elisha knows what will happen next. That's what he sees in the spirit, and it burdens him. There's, there, there's no war currently, but he sees it coming. Jesus sadly spoke of disaster that would befall Jerusalem. Both Elisha and Jesus spoke of the sadness of seeing death occur to the innocent, who were wrapped up with and consumed by evil. What's about to happen is Elisha isn't going to perform the miracles he did before. In fact, he's going to stay out of the miracle business for a long time. When Jehu is anointed later, Elisha won't even do it himself. It's like he's going into mourning or hidden intercession to cover the next decades. It's sad to consider how could a prophet not prevent the upcoming from upcoming. Well, the prophet delivers the message, but is not obligated if they do not obey. The other thing is that his job was not done. Though judgment was coming, his warnings and preachings and prayers can and will save countless innocents who need to run away, like he did with the Shudamite earlier when he warned her of the famine. 2 Kings 8-7 Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was ill. When the king was told the man of God has come all the way up here, he said to Haziel, Take a gift with you and go to meet the man of God. Consult the Lord through him. Ask him, Will I recover from this illness? Haziel went to meet Elisha, taking with him a gift of forty camel loads of all sorts of the finest wares of Damascus. He went in and stood before him, and he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to ask, Will I recover from this illness? All right. So Elisha goes to Damascus because he knows Haziel's sick and could potentially die soon. Yet he knows he's also supposed to anoint the next king as well. Before he sees the king, a man comes to him to inquire for the king. He's an ambitious court official, man of lowly birth, named Haziel. And when Haziel approaches Elisha, it appears he becomes overwhelmed in the spirit, and Elisha breaks down in tears as he receives more revelation from heaven. 2 Kings 8.10 Elisha answered, Go and say to him, You will certainly recover. Nevertheless, the Lord has revealed to me that he will, in fact, die. He stared at him with a fixed gaze until Haziel was embarrassed. Then the man of God began to weep. Why is my Lord weeping? asked Haziel. Haziel feels the prophet see right through him. He ever felt that way? Looking at a, a man of God or a pastor or something, they just kind of look right through you. Or maybe just a counselor. Overwhelmed, he responded the way he did. And Elisha prophesies, but apparently in disgust, frustrated, sadness, because his visions he previously experienced were of the kingship of the next king and could only be possible due to a coup that was already planned by this Haziel. Second Kings 8.12 Because I know the harm you will do to the Israelites, he answered. 
You will set fire to their fortified places, kill their young men with the sword, dash their little children to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. Haziel's response is denial. Why would he allow an Israelite prophet to ruin his plans? 2 Kings 8.13 Haziel said, How could your servant, a mere dog, accomplish such a feat? The Lord has shown me that you will become the next king of Aram, answered Elisha. The pain of knowing the future, the pain of supernatural sight, negative futures can be prevented. There are times when they can only be stalled or delayed or limited. In this case, Elisha resigned to the inevitable judgment of God, but would fight in the spirit for innocence and the heart of kings through intercession. He speaks of the young men. He speaks of the, the pregnant women and the children. Those are the ones he's going to be praying for. Those are the prevented futures. Can Elisha prevent the death of Jezebel? Well, probably not. I mean, her judgment's coming. But can he prevent the death of innocent soldiers that fight for Israel but not for Jezebel? Yeah, probably through intercession he can. The innocents, those are the ones that he'll be praying for, though judgment was coming to dark principalities. Well, Haziel goes through with it. He kills his master and takes over Aram. Haziel becomes king by killing Ben-Hadad. Ben-Hadad, the memory-lapsed king, dies by assassination. Violently, and Haziel becomes king. Apparently, there was not a lot of other bloodshed from this point. Haziel just becomes king because there doesn't appear to be any sort of civil war, and he quickly resumes the military offensive. The coup ends the life of our fourth character of this generation. Jezebel will be next, and Shalmaneser, who isn't done ravaging this world, still has some cards to play. So after the last episode, where the Arameans fled like cowards from an invisible army, it appears the nobility was prepared for a new leader. Haziel, with the support of many, many nobles, assassinated the old man Ben-Hadad and ended his long reign. His death was suffocation, a horrible way to die. 2 Kings 8.14 then Haziel left Elisha and returned to his master. When Ben-Hadad asked, What did Elisha say to you? Haziel replied, He told me that you would certainly recover. But the next day he took a thick cloth, soaked it in water, and spread it over the king's face so that he died. Then Haziel succeeded him as king. Haziel will go on and become a great king militarily. He will fight off the Assyrians, and he will frighten northern Israel greatly. It's a horrible thing that will happen, but we cannot fail to point out that what is going on here, that Haziel was anointed to be God's instrument of judgment upon the house of Israel, better yet, the house of Ahab. Haziel will strike great terror on Israel and Judah during his reign. Further, if you struggle with understanding how a sovereign God would allow such nasty judgments or anoint horrible kings to commit terrible crimes against humanity, it's because greater crimes were committed against God and dark empowerment of dark spiritual authorities created greater harm on the souls of men. When Samaria is destroyed by the Assyrians and the ten tribes are hauled away into captivity, God leaves this as a testimony to the wickedness of northern Israel. If one ever wonders how bad it really was, read Second Kings 17. 
It's good to always have the greater context when passing judgments on the horrible things in the Old Testament. In summary, you've got to read the whole book. Here is the excerpt. 2 Kings 17.7 All this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. The Israelites secretly did things against the Lord their God that were not right. From watchtower to fortified city, they built themselves high places in all, all their towns. They set up sacred stones and Asherah poles on every high hill and every spreading tree. At every high place they burned incense, as the nations whom the Lord had driven out before them had done. They did wicked things that aroused the Lord's anger. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, You shall not do this. The Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, Turn from your evil ways and observe my commands and decrees, in accordance with the entire law that I commanded your ancestors to obey and that I delivered to you through my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, and they were stiff-necked as their ancestors, who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors, and the statues he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols, and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, Do not do as they do. They forsook all the commands of the Lord their God, and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves, and an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the story host, and they worshipped Baal. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens, and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. So the Lord was very angry with Israel, and removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. Even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. They followed the practices Israel introduced. Therefore the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He inflicted them and gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them from his presence. Elisha's journey was an emotional one to Damascus and extremely awkward when he meets Haziel. His revelatory gift no doubt caused him many pains and loss of sleep as he processed how to handle such revelation. Apostle Paul speaks of loss of sleep in his walk with God. How about Daniel, who experienced such revelations he couldn't eat for days? And if this wasn't enough, I believe Elisha incurred more as he approached Samaria. If this journey wasn't enough for Elisha, he has had more experiences, most likely, especially when he approaches Samaria. As Elisha comes back to Samaria, could it be he cried out over what was about to happen to Samaria? If Jesus cried out for Jerusalem, knowing it would be destroyed in 70 AD, why would Elisha not witness in his mind's eye the destruction of Samaria? Like Jesus, he probably wept over the city. His church of the prophets was gone, devastated by war, the countryside ravaged, and Samaria, even Damascus, will be eventually destroyed. Sometimes, the supernatural is terrifying. The hard part about being a prophet he did what he could from preventing war. He did what he could. But honestly, he did what he was supposed to do. That's all God asked of him. Jesus could have prevented the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. But this is what happens when the religious and political leaders kill an innocent man, the spotless, pure, blameless lamb, who is also the Son of God. God's hand must lift from the place, and when it does, 
The enemy rushed in to fulfill destruction. This is what Jesus saw. Luke 19.41 As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to this ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Elisha most likely saw the destruction of Samaria and wept bitterly in his spirit, just as Jesus did when he knew Jerusalem would be destroyed. To conclude this episode of Message to Kings, let's cover more on the seasons of life. The tribe of Issachar understood their seasons. Elisha lived in three distinct seasons in his life, discipleship, power, and judgment. Here's another. Moses lived in three seasons, prince, servant, and apostle. Let's face it, seasons change. It's inevitable. It's a part of nature. In nature, things die, things grow in the garden. John 15, it's natural for there to be a trimming back for the next season of life. God's calling contains winter months and summer months. Look to the hills, the mountains, the plains. Each bears a different fruit and experience in each season. Rarely are seasons as distinct as it is with Moses and Elisha. God's calling is revelatory, yet not predictable. It's a nature of faith. You cannot control the outcome or know the future things ahead, but he will lead you in the right decisions and purposes. Elisha was ready, but not really ready for what was about to happen. To look at this episode, we've got to understand our walk in the Spirit has different seasons that we must walk through. Elisha just incurred a shift. I kind of wonder, what was Elisha thinking? You know, what, what happened to this revival he was fueling his life? Where was it going? I thought I was supposed to aid in bringing many more to the kingdom. But now in many ways this thought process is removed. And now he's anointing kings? And he's a prophet over a time where the Lord is judging the earth? Yet, there's something new that's been assigned to him. And it's quiet national intercession in the background. I have to believe this because it makes the most sense. Elisha interceded and held back judgment time and time again, and there was no heartfelt repentance to change the country, and the time of judgment still came. And yet now that the shift has occurred and judgment was coming, there will be awful things, but innocents and believers and the least amount of bloodshed will be shed because of Elisha's prayers. From miracle worker and advisor to international kingly magi and world intercessor is now his role. Elisha received a promotion in the spirit, but he was forced to resign to this season of judgment that the world or his nation was under. And it was a drastic shift for Elisha to incur. Now we all go through different seasons in our life. Where are you? What season are you in? Recognize the season. Those sons of Issachar, they did. 
so you can understand your assignment. The Lord has a journey for you and ministry in every season and every time. He has specific purposes for you in every season. Don't miss your season and remain obedient. It is the time of discipleship, power, or judgment, or intercession. Ask the Lord. You decide from what God is doing around you. Every journey is different. Be faithful, be honest with yourself, and understand God's season for you. The tribe of Issachar knew their season, and in their gift they spoke to prophets and kings and told them when to plant seeds and when to harvest, when to pray in intercession and when to pray in power, when to listen, when to speak, when to love, and when to war. Counsel for every season. The tribe of Issachar kept the hearts of the kings focused on the correct goal for each season. May we understand our changing seasons and understand what God has for us in our current and our future seasons. May we be most effective at ministering in the right season and in the right spirit and the right heart of God for every moment. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings at gmail.com.